0: Hello and welcome to the Star Wars Saga Cast. My name is John Wilson and this is episode 6 of the show, where I'll be taking a look at issue 4 of Star Wars from Marvel Comics. Last time you remember... We left off with Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Chewbacca, and the newly rescued Princess Leia in the prison corridor trying to figure out how to get out. They were blasting at stormtroopers. Everything was going to hell, and we are now ready for issue four. On the cover, we have an amazing image of... I don't even know how to describe this. Darth Vader is looming over, like, 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 galactus over the fantastic four he's looming over princess leia luke skywalker and obi-wan kenobi so he's all big in the background with his hands reaching out luke skywalker is firing at him but it looks like obi-wan kenobi is trying to block his blast with a lightsaber while um leia is um maybe doing the watusi i don't know what she's doing (laughs) She's posed dramatically. She looks like she's about to fall over is what it looks like. Um, But none of them actually has the most stable look to them. But it it gives the image of action. So it's kind of cool. At last, the battle with Darth Vader to the death. And Luke's shouting, here I stand, though I may die. And Obi-Wan's, no, Luke. And up in the top left corner, we now have a little uh, rectangular image of Luke Skywalker with his lightsaber. With the long hair he has, though, he looks kind of he manish If he were just, you know, wearing a little bit less in the way of clothing and, you know, more armor, he would have a He-Man look to him. Anyways, we open up the comic, and this is In Battle with Darth Vader by Roy Thomas, the scripter and editor, Howard Chaykin and Steve Lealoha, illustrators in tandem, Tom Warzachowski letterer, archie goodwin consulting editor stanley presents star wars the greatest space fantasy of all our full page splash has our heroes with blaster bolts rocketing down the corridor pew, 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 pew. luke shouts solo they're getting closer tell me something i don't know kid now i know why they call this place death star actually on solo you have no clue yet why they call this place death star leia knows leia saw but you don't know sorry just the, the, the soldiers blasting at you in the corridor, that is peanuts compared to what this place is like. The caption boxes remind us that Ben Kenobi is seeking a way to deactivate the tractor beam, which leaves us only C-3PO and R2-D2 unaccounted and for, so we turn the page and there they are, still hiding in the room back where they were earlier, as stormtroopers are banging on the door trying to get inside. Leia blasts a hole in their corridor, and all four of our heroes plummet through the gaping hole into the garbage chute. And they're not in there for two panels before. Tentacles are getting Luke Skywalker by the throat and pulling him under the water. He's shouting, blast it, blast it! Han says, blast it, I can't even see it, it's just a bunch of tentacles. He's pulled under the water for a panel, but then he's released as there is a sudden and ominous rumble beginning around them. The walls start creeping toward one another, about to crush all of our heroes. Luke starts calling for 3PO on the comm link, but the comm link is sitting there on the desk, unobserved. Now, one thing I've always wondered about this particular plot point is, if the comm link is sitting there on the desk, unobserved, turned on, with Luke Skywalker's voice shouting out of it, Come in, 3PO! Come in, 3PO! Whenever the stormtroopers come in, how come they don't hear it? They come in... R2-D2 and C-3PO make a thing about, they just left, if you hurry, you might catch them. And then he makes the excuse of going off to take care of his R2 unit. In the movie, he picks up the comm link. In this comic, he does not. In fact, as I'm looking at the art more closely, it looks like the voice is not even coming from a comm link, but more like a panel on the console. Rumble, 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 walls caving in. Oh, and I was right, because whenever they get to a a wall console, C-3PO says, that's it, Artu, plug yourself into that wall socket so I can talk with our master again. And that's whenever he's able to hear all the screams for panic and everything else. So they shut down all the garbage mashers, and they're all fine. Happy, happy, joy, joy. And we check in briefly with Ben Kenobi, who is moving his lever and making his adjustments on a computer terminal, turning all the lights from red to blue, making the tractor beam disabled. Although, if the tractor beam were disabled, wouldn't it be making them red? I mean, obviously, red is bad for us and for our heroes, and so we want blue lights. But, for the Death Star's concern, turning off the tractor beam should be a bad thing, right? So, I don't know. Not that it really matters. They climb out of the garbage hatch, the tentacle monster is coming after them again, just like it was in the novel, although not in the film. So this is one bit of business that did make it into the version of the script that Roy Thomas had, but that the movie did not use. He shoots at the tentacles, and that's when Leia shouts, wait, somebody might hear. And of course, she and Han have gotten off to a bad start. You wouldn't believe they'd be doing the um, the nasty in just a couple years, would you? Having kids, all that good stuff. Ben Kenobi is still thinking through the hallways, and our friends make it to the Millennium Falcon. Problem is, they are one level too high, right above C-3PO and R2-D2. So they have to cycle back around, but there are stormtroopers running through the hallways. Stopper will fire! And Han Zelda shouts, Get to the ship, fast! As he runs after the, the uh, stormtroopers, he chases them down the hallway, but they hit a dead end, and turn around and start firing back at him, so he turns around and runs the other way, into a gronk-gronk Wookiee Chewbacca. And our two lovebirds, or, you know, would-be future lovebirds, Luke and Leia, run down a passage and reach the ventilation shaft, where they might fall deep to infinity and die, or they can use their little grappling line that he just happens to have in his belt. But of course, before they swing across, Leia has to give him a kiss. And the way this art is drawn, it is not a quick smek on the cheek for luck. It is a, let's close our eyes and enjoy the moment. As every kiss should be. I think. They get across, they start shooting back at the bad guys, Ben Kenobi is still flitting through the hallways, but he is now being followed by a dark silhouette, which eclipses the light far behind him. Notice that we completely skipped over all the, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi is here, blah blah blah, that was in the movie. We do get our first letter column in this issue, which I'll be coming back to at the end of the story. Han Solo and Chewbacca are still on their run from stormtroopers. They put a multi-layered door down between them, try to keep them out. And then Ben Kenobi, as he's running toward the Millennium Falcon, he confronts Darth Vader. I have been waiting, Obi-Wan Kenobi. The circle is now completed. When I left you, I was but a learner. Now I am the master. And Padawan learner is what they use in the new trilogy. It's not what he says in the film, if I believe. That's a little bit interesting, that they keep the term from this script, even though it didn't make it into the film. Or maybe it's just a random coincidence. Lightsabers come out. They, um, I was going to say they're both red, because in the first panel they are. But the light and color of the lightsaber is not consistent. In some panels they're pink, in some panels they're white. It's all kinds of crazy. But they are doing their lightsaber battle. It's actually much more dramatic here in the comic than it was in the film. And then Luke and Leia and Han and Chewie all regroup, and they actually are on the same side of the hangar as C-3PO and R2-D2. In the book and in the film, they came out on the opposite side of the hangar from them, and they both had to come to the ship from their separate ways. But as they're talking about what they need to do, Leia looks over her shoulder and shouts, Look! And then, before the startled eyes of humans, droids, and Wookiee, Ben and Vader emerge from the hallways on the far side of the docking bay, still locked in their deadly lightsaber duel. Prepare to meet the Force, Obi-Wan. This is a fight you cannot win, Darth, for I have grown much since our parting. If my blade finds its mark, you will cease to exist. But if you cut me down, I'll become only more powerful. And that is interesting. Okay. Whether you know this or not, whenever Ben Kenobi is struck down and becomes Force Ghost, and then later Yoda is struck down and becomes Force Ghost, we all assumed as Star Wars fans, that's just what happened when a Jedi dies. And that's what we're going to see in the expanded universe, is that when Jedi die, they just turn into Force Ghosts. But in the prequel trilogy, it was strongly implied that that ability to live within the Force, to continue on in existence, was something new and different that Qui-Gon Jinn had learned and that Yoda was going to teach Obi-Wan Kenobi. That it was different, that it was unique, and that it was not commonly known. Here, Ben Kenobi is telling Darth Vader... Darth Vader might just die whenever Ben Kenobi kills him, despite his, you know, being a Sith Lord and is having as much force power as Ben has. But if Ben dies, then it's going to be different because he has grown in power since they parted, which is exactly what happened in the prequel trilogy. So I am willing to say that this is an idea that actually existed in George Lucas's brain way back in the day. Even if we didn't know it, because it's right here in the comic, which means it was in the script that Roy Thomas was given, even if all of these words didn't make it onto the screen. But moving on. Wow. I turned the page and there is a panel. The Sith Lord brings his sword down, seemingly cutting his elder foe in half. And there is a huge, blastery, Kirby cracklish, glowy for glowy image of ben kenobi dissipating into a sunburst of some sort he's all oogly boogly and turning into orange and yellow colors it's scary and amazing at the same time (laughs) but i guess that's showing his dissipation into the force i don't know the caption reads that ben kenobi's cloak falls on the floor in two parts but ben is not in it I always wondered why his cloak didn't get cut in the film. I guess it's because they didn't want to ruin the costume. But, yeah. Luke sees this. He has just seen Ben Kenobi's death. And he is freaking out. They get back on the ship. Luke Skywalker wants to kill Darth Vader. You killed him, you dirty! Frap, frap, frap. As he's shooting his blaster. Then suddenly a familiar yet different voice rings into his ears. Luke, it is Ben Kenobi's voice. Luke whirls around toward the voice, but only sees Princess Leia. He wonders if he imagines the voice or what, but he follows into the ship. Sitting inside, he can't believe that, the, uh, that, his, that his friend is gone, and the Millennium Falcon blasts out of the Death Star. The next moment, the pirate starship powers away from the massive Death Star and disappears into the vastness of space, and next issue, Escape to the Moons of Yavin. So we have two issues to go for the final act of the film. Seems to me things are going rather well. A friend of mine on Facebook said that he feels like this adaptation is the best movie adaptation to comics that has ever been done. And, you know, it is pretty fantastic. I have not read that many adaptations of movies into comics, so I don't know if I can say that with as much definitive energy as he did. However, of the ones I've read, it is definitely great. Going to go back to the uh, letters column here, just to kind of give you an idea of what people were feeling about the comic when it was coming out. The title of the letters column is Star Words. Yeah, not Star Wars, Star Words. And we have an email from Ann... (laughs) Email. (laughs) That's not the last time I'm going to make that mistake. We do have a letter starting off from Ann Nichols. Now, I've read a lot of Marvel comics from this era, and Ann Nichols was a stout and stalwart letter writer. I don't think stout's the right word at all, but she was a stalwart, faithful letter writer, constantly writing in about the comics that she liked and didn't like, giving positive and constructive and negative criticism as she felt was necessary. And she is very enthusiastic about the film. She says if the movie is half as interesting as the comic, she's going to have to go see it despite the price and that 3PO and R2 stole the show. Vincent McCallion was a bit doubtful when he saw the headline The Greatest Space Fantasy Film of All because he had seen Logan's Run and read that comic as well. However, he is happy to say he was wrong and that he is very excited about Star Wars. Frank Antonides was very impressed with the first issue. He found all the characters not only believable, but emotionally moving. He either loved them or hated them based on their personalities, not on the uh, rendition from the creators. But his two favorites are the deceivingly human robots R2 and 3PO. And we have a cry from Tom Trent that they carry the Star Wars story forward in Marvel Comics beyond the movie. To which the editor replies, We hope to, Tom. It all depends on reader response and the sales of the first couple of issues, which were on sale before the movie actually debuted. Roy has a zillion ideas for the book's future, many of them based on earlier unused Star Wars movie scripts by the film's writer, George Lucas, himself. So, it's possible that we might have seen... Material That would become Empire Strikes Back and such in the Marvel comics directly after the film's adaptation. But I think that once the film was so successful, they decided the sequel is definitely in order and they were going to use them. And also, I don't think that Roy Thomas sticks with the comic after the first six issues. I could be wrong. Maybe he's on for a year, but I seem to remember Roy Thomas leaving relatively early. Abraham Rodriguez is one reader who had read the novel adaptation first, and he enjoyed the comic, but he was a little bit disappointed at the lack of descriptions, because the comics don't really tell you the differences between Jawas and Sand People and all those other things, to which the editors reply that we, they rely very heavily on the fact that this is a visual medium, and they can't overload every single panel with lots of captioning like you might do in a novel. So they rely on the visuals to sort of make up for some of that. Michael Beagle waxed poetic, branded with the serenity of silent space, crowned with governmental conflicts, and polished with glistening robots, the first issue of Star Wars zapped me with the feeling that even more entertainment will come. Ken Sem is our last letter, and he also had read the novelization. He rather enjoyed the book, and although he enjoyed the art as well, he does say that he didn't like Chaikin's previous work on Monarch Starkiller, or Mark of Cain, but he did enjoy his work on Star Wars. His question, though, is why the comic refers to C-3PO and R2-D2 as letters and numbers whenever the novelization spells out the names phonetically. The editor replies that both forms are used in George's screenplay – depending on the situation and it seemed useful to Roy to make certain that everyone understood where the names came from as well as the word droid. So he worked those in as much as possible. And that is the end of our letter column, which means it's the end of issue four of star Wars next time. Issue five, one more after that. And then we're on to the adventures of Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, princess Leia, Chewbacca, Chewbacca Chewbacca, C-3PO and R2-D2 beyond the film. So that's coming down in a couple of episodes time and I hope you'll enjoy it. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to send emails, I'll read emails on the air in special email episodes. You can send those to the Star Wars Saga at gmail.com. If you just happen across this episode somewhere randomly, more episodes will be found at the Star Wars Saga or on iTunes under the Star Wars Saga Cast. So, thank you very much for listening, and until next time, my name is John Wilson. Thank you very much for listening to the Star Wars Saga Cast, and good night.